Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is just a quick heads up in case any of you didn't catch the bonus episode that I dropped last week. I recorded this full episode before I went out of town on vacation with my family for spring break. Through the course of this episode, you're going to hear a call for as many of you as possible to come to Tyler, Texas to carry Max Cook's actual innocence hearing on April 12th. While I was out of town, I received word from Gary's attorney that the hearing has been postponed. He said that it's likely to be rescheduled sometime in June. So there's still a lot of good content in this episode. It's all very useful information. But I just want to forewarn you that anything you hear regarding going to Tyler for the hearing this Tuesday, disregard it. There is no hearing this week. However, I still will be in town. I'll be doing periscopes and tweeting about the trip. And I would still like to arrange a meetup for anybody who can be in Tyler on Tuesday night the 12th. It'll probably be around 7.30 p.m. local time. I haven't set a venue for it yet, but I have a few places in mind I want to check on after I get there. So keep your eyes peeled on Facebook and Twitter if you're interested in coming, or even send me an email. And once we establish the exact time and place of the meetup, I will tweet that information out. Other than that, I hope you all have a great week, and enjoy the episode. Support for today's episode of Truth and Justice comes from Squarespace. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. I'm your host, Bob Ruff, and I want to welcome you into this slightly shortened addendum version of the Truth and Justice podcast. Like I mentioned last week, this week is spring break for all of my kids, so Becky and I are going to take the kids away for vacation for the week. So as I mentioned, I was going to take the week off, but I wanted to make sure I got some information out to you about the Carrie Max Cook case, and also I know a lot of you have been asking me to do more than one episode a week, and... Uh, That, at this point, is impossible. There's a lot of work that goes into each episode. But I do want to make sure for all of you that I get something out for you every week. So this will be a shorter episode, but it should be an informative one. And it's one that really could make a difference for us. Yet again this week, we're still in Smith County, Texas. This time, however, we're not talking about Kenny Snow or about Edward Aids. I want to take today's episode and explain to all of you what's going on in the Carrie Max Cook case. Carrie's story has been described by many people as one of, if not the worst case of prosecutorial misconduct to ever come out of the state of Texas. For a full rundown of the case, you can go back and listen to episode 202 where I broke it down in detail, and I would highly recommend to every single one of you listening to go out and get the book Chasing Justice, written by Carrie Max Cook. That's the best way to get the full story about what happened to Carrie Cook. But for now, I'm going to give you a brief breakdown of what went on in his case and then update all of you as to what's going on currently with this actual innocence hearing that's to occur on April 12th.
Carrie Max Cook's story started in 1977 when his neighbor, Linda Jo Edwards, was brutally murdered in the apartment below his. She was raped, stabbed, and her body was mutilated. The investigation started out just like most investigations do. Police went to the scene and began questioning witnesses. It just so happened that Linda's roommate was home at the time of the murder. She told police that she came home, she saw a man in Linda's bedroom, a man with silver or gray hair, older, that she assumed was Linda's boyfriend, James Mayfield. James Mayfield was a married man who was having an affair with Linda. At one point, he had left his wife and moved in with Linda, but several weeks before the murder, he had a change of heart and went back home. He testified at Carrie Max Cook's trial that he hadn't seen or had any kind of sexual relationship with Linda Jo Edwards in over three weeks before she was murdered. This would seem like there would be an obvious course of investigation for the Tyler Police Department. As most of you know, in many cases like this, statistically, one of the most obvious suspects is going to be the person who is in a relationship with the victim. That doesn't mean that person's always the one that did it, but certainly someone to look into. Then you also have the fact that there was an eyewitness that stated that they saw the boyfriend in the apartment that night. As you break down victimology and start to look for risk factors for the victim, there's a very obvious one. The victim was involved in a relationship with a married man. The man had left her and went back to his wife. And there's another huge detail that wasn't disclosed to the defense until 21 years after Carrie Max Cook was convicted and sentenced to death. In the two weeks leading up to Linda Jo Edwards' murder, James Mayfield's daughter had sent multiple death threats to Linda Jo Edwards. Now this is of course important to Carrie's case because it's a Brady violation that this information was suppressed. But going all the way back to the beginning and looking at the investigation, the detectives that were investigating this case knew that these death threats existed. And yet somehow, for some reason, they decided to go after Carrie Max Cook instead of James Mayfield. The problem was that they didn't have any evidence against Carrie Cook. But as you know from our other cases, lack of evidence has never slowed down Smith County justice. At the end of the day, there was one piece of forensic evidence connecting Carrie Max Cook to this crime. There was a fingerprint found on the outside of the patio door. That fingerprint belonged to Carrie Max Cook. That's it. That's the only piece of evidence that puts Carrie on that crime scene. And another detail that was suppressed by the state is the fact that they had statements from multiple witnesses that said that Carrie Max Cook knew Linda Jo Edwards and that he had been in her apartment on multiple occasions so it would make perfect sense that his fingerprint was on that window. But those statements were never disclosed to the defense. So the state held back any kind of exculpatory evidence that would help carry Max Cook out, and then went on their search for evidence to get him convicted. And I'm sure that this will come as a shock to all of you, but one of the most incriminating pieces of evidence that helped convict Kerry Max Cook was the testimony of a jailhouse snitch. A guy by the name of Shyster Jackson had been sitting in the Smith County Jail for 22 months awaiting a trial for murder. Jackson was offered a deal. Testify that Carrie Max Cook confessed to this murder to you and will take your murder charge and change it over to a manslaughter charge and release you with time served. Shyster did just that, and he was released, but much like Kenny Snow, after he got out, he recanted his testimony. He contacted the press and let them know that he had lied under oath and that two Smith County officials one of whom was Jack Skeen's first cousin, A.D. Clark, had told him to lie in exchange for getting out of jail. 
They also used the testimony of Carrie Max Cook's roommate, Robert Hain. Robert was a homosexual man, and before the grand jury had testified that he was watching a movie the night that Linda Jo Edwards was murdered, and he testified that Carrie Cook wasn't paying any attention to the movie. But by the time the trial came around, he completely changed his testimony and said that Carrie Max Cook was becoming aroused by the movie and that he had performed sexual acts on Carrie Cook. Then the state spun that into a narrative that Cook was worked up by the movie and decided to go downstairs and murder Linda Jo Edwards. The state also suppressed the fact that his story had changed from his grand jury testimony. And while we're on the topic of suppression, the state also suppressed the fact that Shyster Jackson had actually taken a polygraph test and failed it. That fact wasn't discovered by the defense until 2011. By the time the trial came around, the victim's roommate had also completely changed her story and now identified Carrie Cook as being the person that was in the apartment the night of the murder. And probably the most damning piece of evidence was that fingerprint on that sliding glass door. The detective who took the fingerprint testified at trial that he was able to determine when that fingerprint was placed on the door. He claimed that he had evidence to prove that the fingerprint was put on the door right about the time of the murder. But the detective knew that this wasn't right. And in fact, he had made a written statement to the prosecution saying that this was not true, that there was no scientific evidence to back this up. That written statement was another piece of exculpatory evidence that was suppressed by the state. All of this led to Carrie Max Cook being convicted in 1978 and sentenced to death. Over a decade later, he was finally let out on a technicality, but the state decided to retry him. Cook was tried again for the second time in 1992, and that trial led to a hung jury. But they still didn't give up. In 1994, they tried him for a third time, and this time, Carrie Max Cook was convicted again and sentenced to death again. He spent two more years on death row until 1996, when that conviction was thrown out. After that, the state continued to work to try him again for a fourth time. And in 1999, while awaiting trial, the victim's underwear were sent to a lab to be tested, and it was determined that there was semen found on her underwear. At that point, Cook volunteered to give a DNA sample to be tested against the semen on the underwear. While they were still awaiting the results of the DNA test, the state offered Carrie Max Cook several Alford pleas. Eventually, he took one, and he was finally released for good in 1999, 22 years after he had been locked up for a murder that he didn't commit. What the state failed to tell him was that the DNA test had already come back, and not only did the DNA on the crime scene not belong to Carrie Cook, it did in fact come back as a match to James Mayfield the original suspect. Even with all of that, the state, and specifically by this time, David Dobbs and Jack Skeen, refuse to admit that Kerry Max Cook is innocent and have never pursued James Mayfield. Since his release in 1999, 17 years ago, Kerry Max Cook has continued to fight to be fully exonerated. For all intents and purposes, Kerry Max Cook at this point is still a convicted murderer. And just as hard as he's been fighting to become exonerated, the Smith County Justice System has still been fighting back to keep that from happening. And we'll discuss that, and I'll let Kerry tell you himself in his own words some of the other misconduct that's gone on since then. After the break. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No After nearly 40 years of fighting, on April 12th, that's just two days from now, Kerry Cook finally has the opportunity to get his case back into court and fight for an actual innocence exoneration. But as I mentioned before, the state is still fighting tooth and nail to keep this from happening. And as I've discussed on other episodes about other cases, that means that the actual murderer of Linda Jo Edwards is still walking free. Because the Smith County injustice system refuses to let an innocent man live his life and investigate and prosecute the actual murderer. And as usual, Smith County isn't playing fair. One of the things that Kerry Max Cook's legal team planned to do to prove not only that he was innocent, but how he was wrongfully convicted, is to demonstrate the massive levels of prosecutorial misconduct that were involved in this case. A lot of that prosecutorial misconduct revolves around, guess who, David Dobbs. David Dobbs has been out of the Smith County justice system for several years and has been operating a private practice. He was going to be called as a witness by Kerry Max Cook's team. So how do they avoid that? Last month while I was in Tyler, David Dobbs was sworn back into the district attorney's office to help prosecute Kerry Max Cook's case. By doing so, he is now not allowed to be called as a witness. And as the hearing approaches, on March 28th, just two weeks before the beginning of the hearing, the state filed an amended motion to exclude evidence. And on the 31st, the judge ordered a hearing to decide on this motion. Instead of dismissing the state's, uh, Smith County's motion outright, he granted them a hearing, as I would have emailed you. The hearing is scheduled for 10 a.m., April 11th, the day before the actual innocence hearings to commence uh, the next day, Tuesday. So we now have a hearing on their motion to exclude our evidence April 11th at 10 a.m. Right. And Tyler at the 114th courtroom. Now, I'm going to miss this hearing. I don't arrive in Tyler until later that afternoon. But for any of you that live near Tyler or that are available, I'd love to have some boots on the ground in the courtroom on the 11th at 10 a.m. So you can let me know what happened. And maybe when I get there, I can record a short interview with you to let all the listeners know what went on in that hearing. The motion that was filed is 24 pages long and requests to exclude 80 pieces of evidence. And why do you think the state would want to suppress all of this evidence? This is what it's really about. They're trying to prevent the Smith County voters, Texas, and the world from hearing the uh, 40-year conspiracy, the egregious prosecutorial misconduct that has been utilized to frame an innocent man. Now, here's the truth, Bob. This is the bottom line. 
there came a point during this long 40-year ordeal where they knew, they knew I was innocent, and their careers were more important than my innocence, and they've covered it up, and they're fighting tooth and nail to prevent this truth from ever seeing the light of day. That that truth is that A.D. Clark III, the first 1978 prosecutor, and then his first cousin, Jack Skeens, who inherited this case in 1983 and perpetuated the fraud with the same A.D. Clark evidence all the way up before the United States Supreme Court, uh, and then David Dobbs in the two retrials with Skeens, they're trying to prevent any of that misconduct, that criminal misconduct, from coming out because if it does, well, the house of cards that's been Smith County's nepotism and cronyism for all these years may very well come crumbling down, as it should. And that's not the only reason that they want all this evidence excluded. Here's the other reason they did it. The judge granted, granted HBO's request, HBO documentaries, to film my hearing. The judge granted that. So the very next day, what happens? This bullshit that starts out just like this. Mr. Cook doesn't get the chance to out all this information before a worldwide media. They don't want it coming out. Jack Skeens is close to retiring because he knows what's coming. And when he retires, Matt Bingham becomes, takes over his seat. And let me tell you what's coming for Jack Skeens when I say that, Bob. There are legal analysts from all over the world, all over the world, especially the United States, that say my documented ordeal is the worst case in American history. So I want you to listen to this for a second. What Jack Skeens is hiding from, there was a hair found on the victim's body. It was a hair that had a root to it. That means it could have been tested. It can, it can be tested for uh, mitochondrial DNA. It didn't belong to the victim, Linda Jo Edwards. It didn't belong to the victim's roommate, Paula Rudolph. And it didn't belong to me as a, as a suspect. Jack Steens, even after the Texas legislature passed a law that prosecutors could not destroy evidence and or DNA for 40 years after a conviction unless the defendant and his lawyers, but the defendant himself, me, has to authorize it. So what he did in 2001 or 2002, four months after that legislative order took effect, he ordered that evidence destroyed. That means we're looking at ironclad DNA that would have that was exculpating, that would have shown perhaps James Mayfield was her killer. End of story. They never tested it to him. They destroyed it. Now, there's also more misconduct. They took the murder weapon out of the evidence room. Uh, the crook, Eddie Clark, Eddie, not A.D., but Eddie Clark, Sergeant Eddie Clark, the lead detective involved in investigation and helping to keep the lawful conviction erect for 40 years. He took a lock on my hair as well. Michael West, Matt Bingham's assistant district attorney, argued to the 12th Court of Appeals that we were resisting the knife being tested not because it was taken illegally from the evidence room and not because he took a, a lock of my hair with it at Sylvaneers, but because the broken chain of custody. All Eddie Clark had to do is touch that knife with my hair and bingo, touch DNA, my DNA is there. Well, Michael West told the 12th Court of Appeals as an officer of the court that I was resisting the knife being tested because, quote, unquote, Kerry Cook knows his DNA is going to be on that knife. Now, here's the thing. 
unbeknownst to us and even the court, Matt Bingham had already had the butcher knife, the murder weapon, tested, and I was excluded on everything found on that knife. He knew that when he made that false comment to the 12th Court of Appeals. The Smith County Justice System, namely Jack Skeen and David Dobbs and now Matt Bingham, have been successful for decades at hiding the corruption that exists within that system, not letting the public know that they target the underprivileged. They get their convictions by oppressing the poor and the minorities of Smith County, that they use leverage and manipulate prisoners to get convictions from other prisoners, and that they really will do anything to get those convictions at all costs, and keep up the appearance that Tyler, Texas is a great place to live and that they're hard on crime. But all of a sudden, right now, their house of cards is coming crashing in on top of them. The timing of all of this couldn't be better. As I'm reporting on Kenny Snow's case, Carrie Max Cook's case, Andrew Mitchell's case, in the midst of all of that happening, Carrie Max Cook's case gets brought back to the forefront. And lo and behold, there'll be cameras there from HBO broadcasting this corruption to millions of people around the world. And if you keep digging, there are more and more and more cases of this type of corruption in Smith County. Take, for example, Cynthia Kent. Judge Kennedy took over her bench to 114. She, she gave a man, what was it, 140 years for the theft of a homeless man's theft of a Snickers candy bar. And they're so insulated with misconduct and one-sided situation that one of the prosecutors said, jokingly to the media when asked, why so much? He was a homeless man. All he did was, and you can look this up, steal a Snickers candy bar. The prosecutor said, because it was a king-size Snickers. Now, a slight correction to what Carrie just said. It was actually only 16 years that this homeless man was sentenced to for stealing a candy bar. This sentence was later thrown out by a higher court for jury misconduct. But these are the types of things that are happening in Smith County every single day. These people think that they're untouchable, and they have been for many years. But we're about to prove them wrong. It's time for us to stand up to it. Stand up for what's right. Weed out this scourge, this legal scourge, this nepotism that's been there for all these years. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We all need to stand up to the people in power in Smith County. We need to make a change there. And the way we do that is to keep exposing the corruption. We need to tell the world what's happening there. And almost more importantly, we need to tell the people of Tyler what's happening there. I've asked you before to do this, and I'll ask you again. Keep writing to all of the local newspapers, the local news stations, tweet about this, make Facebook posts, Instagram, however you can, get the information out there about what's happening in Smith County. And anyone that can find a way to get to Tyler, Texas, this week, again, the hearing starts on the morning of April 12th. It's scheduled to continue on to the 13th. 
If you can make it to one day or both days, please make the effort to do so. When you're writing to any media outlets, mention Bob Ruff and the Truth and Justice podcast. Mention that I will be in town during that week and that I'm investigating these other cases. This could be an opportunity to get all of our voices heard. If we can get some of these news outlets to get a hold of me and let me give an interview and start to broadcast all of the things that we've uncovered during this time, this could be huge. This is what could actually tear this system down. And by broadcasting this publicly, it could bring other people out of the woodwork that have been afraid and unwilling to share their stories. But if they know that they're not the only ones, that there are many more like them, we can expose all of them. forward to this trip. I have some leads in both Kenny's case and Edward Eight's case that I'm going to track down while I'm there. I want to see a huge showing for Carrie Cook. I think we're finally making progress in Smith County. Also, while I'm in town, I'd like to organize another meetup like we did last time I was in town in Dallas. This time, however, I want to meet in Tyler. I don't know the location yet, but for anybody that can be in the Tyler area, I want to meet up on Tuesday evening. That's April 12th, two days from the day this episode will drop. So tweet at me and let me know if you can make it or send me an email. And if you don't have a Twitter account, create one even if just for this, because when I figure out where and when exactly we're going to meet on Tuesday night, I will tweet that information out to everyone. And of course, if you're at the courthouse for the hearing, just come up and say hi, and we'll talk about it and figure out where we're all going to go. And for those of you, which is the overwhelming majority of you that aren't near Tyler and can't be at this hearing, please keep throwing your support in any way that you can. Let's all pull together and put an end to this nightmare. Thank you to Johnny Rose of Slightly Subversive Music for creating all the music for the show. Don't forget that you can download the Truth and Justice soundtrack on iTunes. It's called Truth and Justice the Music, and all proceeds from those sales go to Johnny Rose for all of his efforts for creating the music for the show for free. Thank you to Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo. Thank you to Daniel Schaefer, who does all the editing for the podcast. Thank you to today's sponsor, Squarespace, for their continued support. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can shoot me an email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. If you have a new case that you'd like me to review, you can send those emails to cases at truthandjusticepod.com. My Twitter handle is at truthjusticepod. You can like the Facebook page, Truth and Justice with Bob Ruff. Or if you want to leave me a voicemail, go to truthandjusticepod.com. Click the Contact Me page, and there's a phone number on there where you can leave me a voicemail. Any way you do it, please keep in touch, stay engaged. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Oh,